Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burden contains depictions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. There were many failures when it came to investigating the suspicious death of Billie Jean Letterman. Police didn't interview witnesses who were at the house that night, like Michael's parents and his friends, or neighbors who might have seen or heard something. They didn't document blood patterns on the floor or walls that might indicate where in the room Billy was shot. The crime lab didn't test or photograph her clothing, even though they received it. The scene looked like it had been cleaned up. But rather than seeing this as evidence of a potential cover-up, police used it as an excuse to say they just couldn't make a case against Michael Letterman. And then there's the matter of the police no longer having any of the physical evidence. They either lost the gun or just released it to someone when it came back from the crime lab. That could have been Michael, or it could have been the friend that Michael claimed the gun belonged to. So we wondered, what about Billy's body? Are there any clues from the autopsy that might tell us more about what happened the night she was shot? In this episode, we'll go over the autopsy and bring in two experts to get their opinions on the medical examiner's report and how that report might have impacted the case. Billy's autopsy was performed on August 16, 1991, three days after she died. Before we begin, it's important to understand the role of a medical examiner. The medical examiner evaluates cases of sudden or unexpected death. This includes any case where criminal activity, including homicide, may be suspected or presumed. 
A medical examiner's conclusions are based on their own analysis of their scientific observations. In 1991, Billy's autopsy showed that she was generally a healthy young woman with no underlying medical conditions. She had no drugs or alcohol in her system. The crime lab determined that the gun was fired from behind Billy's head and that the bullet traveled in a left and forward direction. So as we said in a previous episode, if you draw a line from the top of your right ear back a few inches, that's where the bullet entered. The crime lab determined that the gun was 6 to 12 inches from Billy's head when it went off. The autopsy shows that Billy had no gunshot residue on her hands. But it also makes a note that a negative gunshot residue test doesn't necessarily mean that a person didn't fire a weapon. On her death certificate, the crime lab listed Billy's cause of death as a gunshot wound to the head. It listed her manner of death as undetermined. So this means that the medical examiner thought that there was not enough evidence to determine one manner of death over another. He couldn't say definitively whether it was a homicide or a suicide. And that's one of the many frustrating things about this case. Suicide just seems so unlikely. Even the police said so at several points throughout the case, and years later. After Billy died, police started investigating the case as a homicide. But it seems as though lead investigator Don Nix was waiting on the medical examiner to confirm or deny this, purely based on examining Billy's body, rather than focusing on additional detective work to find the answer. I'm Karen Trico-Stewart. From Power of Pod Productions, this is Episode 7 of Burden, Billy's Body. One of the problems with Billy's autopsy is the man who wrote it, Dr. Fahmy Malik. Her autopsy was one of the last performed by the controversial chief medical examiner at the Arkansas State Crime Lab. Malik would soon resign amid allegations that he botched several autopsies. He left his position in 1992 after a string of high-profile decisions that made no sense. Here are just three cases with questionable rulings. A case in which he concluded that two teenage boys who were run over by a train were smoking marijuana and fell asleep. They were so stoned, according to Malik, that they didn't even wake up as the train rolled over them. Independent pathologists later determined that one of the boys had been stabbed in the back and the other struck in the head, and that both likely had been placed on the tracks while unconscious or dead. Yet Malik stuck by his conclusion. In another case, he determined that a man found dead in his yard had committed suicide, even though the man had been shot five times in the chest. And in another case, he said that a 72-year-old man who was found decapitated outside his home had died of a perforated ulcer, and that a dog had chewed off his head. There's nothing as dramatic in Billy's case. But one failure we immediately noticed was that Malik didn't document the fresh bruises we know were on her neck. We can see some of the bruising in a photo of Billy's face, but he didn't bother to photograph her left side, so we can't see them fully. And there's no mention of those bruises in his written report. Dr. Malik did get a photo of the other side of Billy's neck, though, but that was only because he was photographing the bullet wound. We also know the bruises were there because hospital staff noted them in their report. They described them as purplish-blue in color and indicated on a diagram where they were located, which was on the left side of her neck. 
If they'd been documented properly, what role could they have played in making a decision as to whether or not Billy killed herself? Why did Malik ignore them? These were the bruises most likely caused by Michael Letterman, as he was holding Billy tightly by the back of the neck, trying to keep her head down, as Billy's daughter Ashley described. The lack of attention to the bruises on Billy is just one part of this puzzling autopsy. Here's my co-host Stephanie Harris to tell you more. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Because Dr. Fahmy Malik's work has been called into question numerous times, we took the autopsy results to Dr. Charles Kokus, who became chief medical examiner for the state of Arkansas after Malik. We asked him to review the evidence to see if he would stand by the conclusions drawn by his controversial predecessor. We wanted to know if he thought it could have been suicide. And was Malik's determination about the position of the gun and trajectory of the bullet correct? Let's start with the last question. The answer is no. Kokus did not agree with Malik's analysis of the position of the gun and trajectory of the bullet. And what he said wasn't just somewhat different from Malik's opinion. It was completely different. Much of the conversation with Kokus about the bullet wound makes a lot more sense with the use of visual aids, but unfortunately we can't provide those to you in a podcast. So if you're interested in a deep dive after listening, we'll be posting diagrams on our social media and website. The location, shape, and angle of the wound are important to understanding Dr. Kokus's analysis. But here are some key points. According to Dr. Kokus, Malik's conclusion that the bullet entered Billy's head from behind on the right side and shot toward the front left side is not accurate. In fact, Kokus said he thinks the gun was shot from the front of her head and that the bullet would have missed if it had been off just a quarter of an inch. Here's his explanation. There's three holes to consider, the, the two in the skin and the one in the skull. When we talked to Dr. Kokus, this part took some time to understand. First, the bullet goes through the skin, then through the skull. When the bullet hit the skull, it broke off a piece of bone. That little fragment traveled between Billy's scalp and skull and then exited the scalp a short distance from the original scalp wound. 
That's why there are two holes in her scalp and only one in her skull. Billy's skull had no bullet exit wound. The bullet remained inside her brain. So according to Cocos, Malik was correct about where the bullet ended up, just not about how it got there. Dr. Cocos also said that if Malik were correct, that the gun was shot from behind Billy's head, the hole would be round and closer to her ear, but instead the hole is oval. The direction of travel is different than what he had described. When bullets enter in directly perpendicularly, they tend to leave a circular entrance defect. And as you begin to increase the angle of entry, that defect will become more and more oval. Um, This is not a a circular wound. It's, It's oval. So it's coming from the front. Dr. Kokos also explained why the bullet didn't just travel a straight line through Billy's head. It has to do with the type of weapon that caused her death, a 22 Magnum. The reason is that small caliber bullets like 22 can ricochet off the inner surface of the skull and change direction. They're, that's the only time when bullets will change direction when they're in the body. Otherwise, they go in straight lines. So just just right after this bullet gets inside, it hits something, ricochets, and goes forward, ending up in the left side. Cocos also pointed out that there's no stippling on the back of Billy's right ear. Stippling is tiny dots that represent burns caused by gunpowder. He said this is further evidence that the gun was not shot from behind her head. If it had been, there would have been stippling behind her ear. Instead, you can see in the photos that the front of her ear, mostly on her upper lobe, is covered in what looks like bruising. But that's stippling. However, there is a distinct bruise behind Billy's ear. We thought that might be from Ashley's description of Michael jabbing Billy in the head with the gun. But Dr. Kokos explained that when the bullet flew past her ear, the force caused the ear to smack her head hard enough to leave a bruise there. We also asked if Cocos thought the lack of gunshot residue on Billy's hands was relevant. His answer was, not really. He said GSR testing is known for being unreliable. In fact, Cocos said GSR testing isn't generally used in gunshot injury cases. Gunshot residue testing is, even to this day, misunderstood as a, as a tool. We do not collect gunshot residue test kits on individuals who um, are victims of gunshot injuries. And that's because as a scientific test, there are both a lot of false positives and false negatives. He explained that he could take a gun outside, fire it, and there may be very little gunshot residue on his hand. It can depend on how well sealed the gun is. And if someone is shot at close range, as Billy was, and they have a hand up in the general area of the gun they might have residue on their hand. Gunshot residue can even be transferred by sitting in the back of a cop car, Coca said. The best possible thing that could have happened here in that regard was to have uh, collected a sample from him before he had washed his hands, because that's, that's where the utility lies. Uh, sticking with the, the first story that he was walking out, and as he turned around, she shot well, there's less likelihood that he would have gunshot residue on his hands under those 
those circumstances, although you, you have to be very careful in, in interpreting that. We tried to get Cocos to commit to whether he would rule Billy's death a homicide. At many points in our interview, he seemed to indicate that he would, but then he'd later step back from his comments. We left the interview with more information, but still no answers. Each of the doctor's interpretations of the evidence was so different. But who is right? Cocos did say that if there was information that proved Michael and Billy had been arguing at the time Billy was shot, then her death should be ruled a homicide. If you could show definitively in a case like this that the discharge would have had to have taken place, uh, at least at minimum uh, with uh, or during a struggle for the weapon and it goes off. If we knew that for sure, we would call it a, a homicide. Just because in that instance, the discharge presumably took place because people were fighting over a weapon following an argument. And we would leave it up to the um, criminal justice system to determine whether or not a crime had actually occurred. But wasn't that criteria met? Has there ever been any doubt as to whether Michael and Billy were arguing when the gun went off? Michael himself mentioned the argument in his statement to police. Miller County's documentation to the crime lab stated that the weapon went off during a domestic dispute. So why cling to a suicide theory? Cocos did at one point start to discuss how unlikely suicide is in Billy's case. If this is a suicide, it would be extremely unusual, at least as far as the trajectory is concerned and the muzzle-to-skin distance. Theoretically, you know, let's, let's consider all possibilities. Could someone deliberately self-inflict a wound like this? And the answer is yes, you can theoretically. How common would that be as a suicidal wound? Not very. Um, the range would be unusual, and certainly the angle at which the injury was sustained would be unusual. Now, is it something that could happen when people are struggling over a weapon? Yes, that could happen too. Does Cocos think it's more likely that Billy sustained her injuries during a struggle over the gun? My opinion there would be yes, that I, I think that is more likely. But I know if I was on the stand now, getting cross-examined, uh, the question would be, if you think it's more likely that it is from a struggle, well, what percentage would you give? And I wouldn't be able to to give that. It's just kind of a gut feeling based on having seen a number of both homicidal and self-inflicted gunshot wounds. For a uh, totally self-inflicted gunshot wound, this would be very unusual. I can say that. Um, but I would have to also acknowledge the, uh, the consistency in it being self-inflicted. On one hand, he said this would be very unusual for a suicide, but in the next sentence, he says there is consistency in it being suicide. So despite admitting that suicide would be, in his words, extremely unusual, Coca still ultimately came back to this. I can't come down with any degree of certainty. The crux of the matter, at least as far as the manner of death is concerned, is up in the air. But Cocos did have this to say. 
I would agree with the sheriff and everybody else who's looked at this case over the years. It, it stinks as far as the level of suspicion is concerned. Yes, it does. We also spoke with Jen Bugolds to get her insight on Billy's case. She's a professor of criminal justice and forensics at American Military University in Colorado. She's also a criminal investigator for a sheriff's department in her state. She served as an Army counterintelligence agent and hosts a podcast called Break the Case. She recently played a key role in finding Rebecca Gould's killer after the case had gone cold for more than 17 years. Gould was a young woman who was murdered in Melbourne, Arkansas. The killer started commenting on a Facebook page Buchholz created, along with Arkansas author George Jarrett. With her experience, we asked her to look over Billy's autopsy report. Buchholz also takes issue with calling Billy's manner of death a suicide. It's just not how people commit suicide. I've attended a lot of death scenes. I've never seen one like that that was ruled suicide. It's atypical, and there's so much... I mean, we're playing with statistics here, right? But statistically... A woman does not make plans for the future as they were doing to go camping with her children and all that, and then just decide in an instant to kill herself. A woman does not normally kill herself when her children are in the next room where they can come in and find her and see her that way. She's not going to want to leave those kids with an abuser. Women don't normally shoot themselves in the head. Uh, We're vain. (laughs) And even though it didn't cause her a lot of facial damage, uh, more women shoot themselves actually in the heart. Um, so this is, again, there's a lot of this victimology stuff that I think is really important to look at here. And not to mention the husband's statement. There's things that just don't jive. I will say in my mind that there's no doubt that this was not a contact wound. So the gun was not held directly to her head and the trigger pulled. It, it was several inches away from her head when the trigger was pulled. And that doesn't rule out suicide, but it's atypical. And... The golden rule, as you know, in suspicious deaths is you're supposed to treat it as a homicide until you can prove otherwise. The evidence that the barrel of the gun was several inches away from her head just points away from suicide. Um, Does it point away from an accident? I'm not sure, but the husband's claim that the gun just went off, guns don't just go off. It has a heavy trigger pull, which means you have to put some effort into actually pulling that trigger. In the heat of the moment, like, you have to make a conscious effort to get your finger into the correct place to pull a trigger, right? It's not like your finger just falls into that hole. And that's how a gun is designed for that reason. So, I mean, whether it was conscious or subconscious, like, he, if he pulled that trigger, he made an effort to get his finger on that trigger and pull it. And that just doesn't happen accidentally, especially if you're arguing and this gun is all over the place and like the chance of you magically just grabbing it and your finger goes into the trigger is about zero. Not impossible, but it is not likely. So there had to be some level of consciousness on what's, you know, what's going on here. Buchholz said the bruising on Billy's neck was absolutely relevant and should have been documented more thoroughly by the medical examiner. It at least deserved a clear photo. Obviously, if she has bruising on her neck, it's most likely from being, you know, either strangled, pushed up against the wall, especially in domestic violence. Most of the time, it's from being, you know, strangled or at least held 
if, even if you can still breathe, the person cut their hand up there holding you in place or something, which could have been what happened in this case. I don't know what hand dominant he is, but if he initially is just trying to push her back or hold her in place or shove her against a wall or hold her down on the couch, he would probably use his dominant hand for that. And then if the gun's right there, he could have grabbed it with his left hand and just fired a shot. There's so many plausible scenarios, but again, this should be treated as a homicide until you can prove that it's not. According to Bugoltz, lead investigator Don Nix was relying entirely too much on the medical examiner to seemingly give him permission to pursue the case as a homicide. You don't need the ruling from the medical examiner to go investigate it as a homicide. I mean, you have a death under suspicious circumstances. That's it right there. That's all you need. So that's a lousy excuse. Even though she was transported to the hospital, they should have at least taken some photos of that living room and the house. Because, I mean, the husband's story seems to change, so I can't quite ascertain supposedly where she was when she was shot. But it sounds like she was over by the couch or on the couch, and then he moved her to the floor. He was, says he was trying to get her out the front door and he couldn't. So there should be blood evidence of that. And that would be so helpful in this case, just to see where did they actually find blood. I mean, that at a minimum would give us so much more insight. Officer Tommy Clay wrote in his report that there was a puddle of blood on the floor and smudges of blood in the kitchen. But Sergeant Nick said everything looked clean and in order when he arrived at the scene. So who cleaned up the blood? Michael's mom, Liz Letterman? Unfortunately, back then, you know, people weren't forensically aware. So the immediate reaction on behalf of a lot of mothers back then probably would have been like, oh my gosh, we can't have this blood pool here when the children come out. So I could see that attitude of like a little bit of trying to protect those kids. Bugoltz is referring to Liz not just wanting to protect her son from being charged with the crime, but also wanting to protect her grandchildren from seeing their mother's blood. And Michael's story, that Billy fell down the steps and broke her jaw, she's not buying it. Uh, first of all, it's really, really doubtful you would take a fall and land on your jaw. I mean, we have human instincts, right? When we fall, whether we fall forward or backwards, your arms usually go out um, to try to slow the fall, um, and especially falling forward. I, I've given this example in a lot of interviews. It's embarrassing, but it's, it's instructive. I pulled into a gas station one time a few years back and I walked, the uh, card reader wasn't working, so I had to go inside to the cashier and I was walking across the parking lot and I fell flat, not on my face, but I was completely caught off guard. I still to this day don't know what I tripped on, but I tripped and just fell straight forward. But still my hands, my forearms and hands went out in front of me, despite that happening in literally like under a second. So your body just instinctively will brace you and you don't fall onto your jaw. I've never seen that. And so I don't, again, I don't buy that, especially with their history. I mean, there's a history of domestic violence going on with this couple. So, I mean, that's, to me, that's just a bogus claim. And I'd love to see him demonstrate how you would fall straight onto your jaw and break it. That doesn't happen. But even if Michael does have a tendency to lie, Bugoltz finds it hard to believe that over all these years, Michael hasn't at least been truthful to one person about what happened the night Billy died. I'm of the belief that nobody goes 30 years without confessing to some aspect of it. And some people, as sociopathic as they seem to be, it does weigh on them. And sometimes they just find a way to, you know, 
relieve some of that burden, which is an appropriate word for this, they will. Did Michael talk specifically about Billy's death to someone? That's actually one reason the case was reopened in 1996. A 24-year-old woman named Carolyn Simmons was concerned enough to give a voluntary statement to police. She gave that statement on August 13, 1996, which was exactly five years to the day after Billy's death. Her statement reads, Michael Letterman and several other people, including myself, were camping on the 4th of July weekend. He was drinking. He and I had a disagreement, and he asked me, Who was I going to tell? My daddy? Then he said, I can get away with anything in Miller County. Carolyn's dad was Deputy Johnny Simmons, who took Carolyn's formal statement and put the record in Billy's case file. But there's no indication of... Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Why the statement was put in Billy's file. Did Michael say he shot her? Why wouldn't they include the context of Michael's comments? Maybe because Michael was right. He does seem to get away with anything in Miller County. Coming up on the season finale of Burden, a legal expert weighs in on whether charges should have been filed against Michael Letterman. The treatment of the scene is totally inexplicable to me. They had cameras. They had luminol. They had the ability to document things. I I mean, there's just no good explanation for why that wasn't done. We also check in with Billy's daughter, Ashley, to see what life has been like since the podcast was released and what she hopes will happen going forward. I can't say that it'll make me feel any better if he's in prison. I mean, I would certainly love that thought of him being where he can no longer do that to anyone ever again. I want him to know that he's not going to get away with it. Visit BurdenPod.com for more information about this show. That's BurdenPod.com. There you can contact us, sign up for our mailing list, or see photos of the people featured in the podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at BurdenPod. Subscribe to Burden in your favorite podcasting app so you can have episodes delivered to you automatically on the day they're released. And please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podchaser. It really helps us out. We're also on Patreon, where you can purchase a monthly subscription and access bonus content, like extended video interviews, Billy's case files, photos of the house where Billy was shot, and a collection of family photos. If you know anything about this case, please let us know. What you send in will not be shared unless we have your permission. We know there were witnesses from that night who have not wanted to talk. If you change your mind, we still want your insight. Stay safe, and until next time.